John chapter 21. Uh, I want to speak to you on the subject this morning. He's alive, so now what? He's alive, now what? And um, certainly last week, Christianity as a whole took time to celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and uh, rightly so, amen? And um, man, I think about what a day we had here at Battlefield, from literally when you drive up and you got the first impression team, and you know, even the donuts were good last week. Like the donuts even taste good on Easter. It's like, I wasn't looking for Easter. Everything was good. The musical was fabulous. The praise team did a fantastic job. I mean, they were magnificent. And then you think about the audio, the, the video, the lighting, and everything that went into uh, last week. It was just phenomenal. And um, I was thinking about even, you know, uh, just the little things, our ushers and greeters doing the small thing, just, just reaching out that hand, hugging on somebody and smiling and welcoming, welcoming people to God's house. It was just phenomenal. And then to be able to see people raise their hand and, and make spiritual decisions last week, that's amazing. And every time I see somebody make a decision, every time somebody gets my attention and says, hey, pastor, I want to let you know that I trusted Christ today, that's a miracle. Don't ever lose sight of the miracle, guys. It's like the message of Jesus is what creates the miracle. Jesus dying, being buried, and then raising himself up three days later from the grave. It was just an amazing Sunday. But like last week, as I was sharing with you, like the Apostle Paul was saying to the church at Corinth, and I mean, he wrote this to a church that had a lot of problems. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 14, Paul said, if Christ be not risen, then our preaching is in vain. But not only is our preaching in vain, he says, your faith is in vain. And so that's pretty important as we think about this whole Easter slash resurrection message. I mean, if he's alive, now what? What's the big deal? What's the big deal if he's alive, now what? And so, you know, we can look at Scripture and we can talk about the Godhead. We can talk about the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. We can talk about different doctrinal positions. Uh, we can search the Scriptures for the deep and, and uh, sometimes even dark questions in life that we all struggle with sometimes. We have, we have questions and we, we can go to Scriptures and search that. But without the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, we're in trouble. Because you see, the resurrection of Jesus is what separates Christianity from all other mere religions in the world. Hold on, about 15 of you agreed with that. That's a problem. The resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead is so incredibly important because it separates what we say we're here today to do, which is to worship Jesus Christ and Him crucified, and all other religions in the world. Maybe we need the praise team to come and play for a while. Guys, guys, show up 1 Corinthians 15, 14 again. Please, let's get the message. If Christ be not risen, then what I'm doing is useless. If he's not risen, then what I'm doing is a waste of your time, and it's certainly a big old waste of my time, because guess what? It took time to prepare the message. If he's not alive, if he didn't raise himself up from the grave, then it's a problem. And not only is it a problem that our preaching is wasteful, it's useless, and it's in vain, but Paul said, your faith is in vain. What he's saying is, your faith is useless. It will avail you of nothing. 
And so it's pretty incredible when we think about this literal, physical resurrection of Jesus Christ. Paul said, if Christ be not risen, then we are all men most miserable. In verse number 19 of that same passage, he said, said if, if Christ isn't risen, then not only is your faith in vain, but you're of all men most miserable. You're the one that you ought to be pitied by everybody else because it's foolishness is what he was saying. But if you know the rest of the passage as I shared last week, he goes on, he says, but Christ is risen. And so he talks about him being the first fruits of the resurrection. And, and so it's great news for us. In fact, I don't agree with everything this guy said, but the British Anglican pastor of yesteryear, his name was Richard Stott. He said these words, he said, Christianity is in its very essence a resurrection religion. He said the concept of resurrection lies at its heart. He said if you remove it, Christianity is destroyed. In fact, I've said it this way. When we talk about the resurrection of Jesus Christ, it's like the hinge pin on these doors. If I open up this door, if I pop out the hinge pins, it's only so long before this door comes crashing down. You see the picture? If, if, if Jesus doesn't rise, if he's not alive, then Christianity falls. You see, because Christianity is the only religion in the world that worships a risen Savior. Everybody else, uh, listen, there's so many uh, cults and, and, and other things that are going around, and there's certainly a lot of religions whose spiritual gurus have died and were buried, and guess what? They're still buried. It's only Christianity where we follow a risen Savior. And so he's alive. Uh, thank you, Wesley is awake. Thank you. I praise the Lord for Wesley saying amen and agreeing with that same. You know, by the way, some of you are like, I don't say amen, brother. I don't care how good it is. I don't raise my hand, brother. I don't care how wonderful the Holy Spirit is moving. Do you know that when you say amen, all that means is that you actually agree with what's being said? It's actually you're, you're in agreement. It's not like something like, like voodoo. It's like, ooh, that church, they say amen. It, basically all it is is saying you actually agree. So when we pray, we say a prayer, and then at the end everybody goes, amen. Well, all you're doing is saying you actually agree with what was prayed. Like if you don't say amen, it's like, I didn't agree. He didn't pray for my Aunt Betsy. He didn't agree. You know, we say amen because we're in agreement with something. And so don't be afraid of the word amen. Look at verse 14, and I didn't ask the guys to show this, but look at verse 14 because what we see in this passage of John chapter 21 is verse 14 tells us that this is the third time that Jesus has actually appeared to his disciples. In fact, if your Bible is like mine, you can look on the same page and look back over on the left-hand side of your page to the first time Jesus appears to his disciples in John chapter 20. You remember they're in the locked room. Look over at verse number 19 and following. In verse number 19, it says the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews, came Jesus and stood in the midst and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. Yeah, right. That's the first thing I want the risen Savior to say. I mean, I'm scared to death. All of a sudden, I'm in a locked room. I'm afraid. I'm fearing for my life. They have just crucified Jesus. And the first thing is Jesus appears out of nowhere. Why? Because he is God. He's able to do all things, right? He's omnipotent. He's omniscient. He's ever-present. He's everywhere. He appears, and the first thing he says, I, you know, I, I put myself in the story. Was it one of those big, long, drawn-out, peace be unto you. 
or was it peace be unto you? I don't know, but I got news for you. I'm probably up against the back of the wall if he comes in the room. And you notice in verse 21, he says it again. As if they didn't hear him in verse number 19. If they weren't as shocked in verse number 19, in verse number 21, he starts off again. He says, peace be unto you, as my Father hath sent me, even so I send you. You send us where? What are you talking about? You send us where? And then he goes on and he talks about whosoever you will remit their sins. In verse number 22, here's something interesting. Everybody talks about the day of Pentecost. I was talking with one of our ladies yesterday. Everybody talks about Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, when the fire came down and the Holy Spirit filled them up. Notice what verse 22 says of John 20. This is when Jesus gives them the Holy Ghost. He breathes on them. It says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and saith unto them, Receive ye the Holy Ghost. They received the Holy Ghost. Listen, when you trust Jesus Christ as your Savior, the Holy Ghost comes in and indwells you, takes up residency in your life. But that's not enough. That's not enough, folks. We must be filled with the Holy Spirit. That's why the Bible says, Be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be ye filled with the Spirit. The way that we walk circumspectly, the way that we walk in wisdom, the way that we walk in love, the way that we do anything, quite frankly, is because we have the Holy Spirit of God residing inside of us, guiding, leading, and directing our lives. And Jesus says, receive ye the Holy Ghost. Now, who can do that except for God? I've seen some tele-evangelists before in my day. In fact, I remember seeing one who used to wear a carnation. Young people won't even remember, won't even, they're like, who is this guy? His name was Ernest Ainsley. Remember him? He used to wear a big old carnation, nice flower. And I used to see him try and breathe on people. I got news for Mr. Ainsley, Ainsley or whatever his name was. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. And so he breathes on him and he says, receive you the Holy Ghost. Now the second time, look, look just a few verses later because it's only like three or four verses later. The second time Jesus appears to his disciples is in John 20, verse 26 and following. Now, you remember the first time he appears to him, Thomas isn't with him. So in John chapter 20, verse 26, Thomas is now with the disciples. And so we have to build the case of what's going on. I mean, he's alive. Now what, right? And so verse 26, look with me in verse 26. It says this, and after eight days again, his disciples were within and Thomas with them. Then came Jesus, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, here it is again, peace be unto you. Then saith he unto Thomas, reach hither thy finger and behold my hands, and reach hither thy hand and thrust it into my side, and be not faithless, but believing. And Thomas answered and said unto him, my Lord, and my God. This is the first declaration that anyone makes after Jesus has risen, Thomas, and we had a great video that Barry put together last week of where Thomas, when he recognizes that Jesus Christ is risen from the dead, he drops to his knees and he says, my Lord and my God. He has a full recognition of who Jesus is. But notice, it goes on. And Jesus saith unto him, Thomas, because thou hast seen me, thou hast believed. Blessed are they that have not seen and yet have believed. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. Notice verse 31. 
But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. And so you see his second appearance. And so here's the thing. When I start to boil it all down, when I start to think about the relationship that these disciples had with Jesus, it's kind of hard to imagine, even from an emotional standpoint. As a human being, it's hard to imagine, even from an emotional, not even a, a, a theological, not even a, 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 a mental capacity or an intellectual capacity, but simply from an emotional standpoint, it's hard to imagine what's running through their minds. I mean, think about the events of the past two weeks. We got Jesus' triumphant entry into Jerusalem as King of Kings and Lord of Lords. People are waving the palm branches. Then we have the Passover feast, or what we refer to as the Last Supper, right? And so we got the triumphant entry, the Last Supper. We got Jesus doing some strange new teaching, right? Jesus teaches them about his father's house. He says, in my father's house are many mansions. What are you talking about? Right? And so he starts teaching this. In verse number 6, he says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And he says, what does that mean? We don't, do you know what we're talking about? No, Philip says, no, we don't know. What do you mean you're the way, the truth, and life? We don't understand. Right? And so he continues teaching them. He teaches to them uh, later in chapter 14 that this comforter is going to come. And he's speaking of the Holy Spirit, this Holy Ghost. And they're like, what is Jesus talking about? I'm beginning to wonder what they would have been thinking with all of these lessons that he's teaching. In chapter 15, you know, Jesus talks about him being the vine and them being the branches. What, what is he speaking of? And then he goes on in chapter 16, he says, hey, guess what, I got some good news for you guys. The world hates me, and because the world hates me, they're going to hate you. And guess what, there's coming a day that they're going to kill you and think they did the world a favor. Oh, that's a positive message, thank you. It's like, thank you, Lord. And so we got all these strange lessons that are going on. And at the end of chapter 16, though, the strange warnings and the strange messages turn to a message of joy. In fact, in John chapter 16, let me flip back there. In verse number 33, he says, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. And so he speaks of their ultimate joy one day. And so we got all these things going on. And then we've got Judas's betrayal and, and subsequent disappearance. We've got the soldiers taking Jesus into custody in the garden. We've got Peter's denial and the rooster crowing three times. It's, it's mind-boggling. We got the, the, the wrongful, uh, the wrongful uh, court case. We got the beating, the crucifixion, and the burial of Jesus. And now, all of a sudden, Jesus shows up and he says, Peace be unto you. I'm guessing, guys, that you would have some problems too. I'm guessing that you would be wondering what in the world is going on. And this is where we find the disciples in John chapter 21. Because Peter, Peter's got some issues, right? Peter's the one who said, I'll never deny you. And Jesus says, oh yeah, before the night's over, you're going to deny me three times. So there's all kind of imagery in this passage, and we can't cover it all. But here's one thing I know. I'm guessing these guys were overwhelmed. I'm guessing these guys were a little bit, maybe this much, they're a little bit confused. And remember, they're hiding. So that tells me something else. They're not only overwhelmed, and they're not only a little bit confused, they're afraid for their life. 
They've just crucified Jesus who was their leader. And so they're probably thinking, I'm next. They're coming after me. And so they hide. And in John chapter 21, I was joking with Travis that I, every time I read this this week, I kind of chuckled. I kind of wondered if Peter was from Arkansas or West Virginia. Because he says, I go a-fishing. He says, I don't know about you guys. Yeah, I'm confused, I'm afraid, I'm overwhelmed, but guess what I'm going to do? I'm going fishing. And just like these guys, they go, we go with you. They go out, they're going to go fishing. Why are they going fishing? Well, we'll see here in just a second. But I wonder about us. When we get a little bit overwhelmed, hold on with me, when things in life get a little difficult, when we feel lost. Anybody ever felt lost? Anybody ever felt confused? Everybody gotten angry? Oh, hold on a second. Has anybody ever here been angry with God? What is it that we do? We do the same thing. We revert back to our old life. We revert back to the bad habits of before. We, we actually go back to the way things used to be, the attitudes and behaviors of the past. Here's what we read. We read that Peter and the others have returned to the Sea of Galilee to fish. Literally, they have returned to their old stomping grounds. This is literally where it all got started. And you say, hold on, Pastor. Hold on a second. Because uh, I read in my Bible over in John chapter 1 that uh, when John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God that taketh away the sins of the world, that Andrew was there. And so this isn't where it all got started. No, it is where it all got started. You see, in John chapter 1, where you read is, Yes, Andrew has this interaction with Jesus. And he goes and he finds his brother. And if you remember in John chapter 1, actually in verse number 42, Jesus is the one who tells Simon, son of Jonas, that he's going to be called Peter. But it's in Matthew chapter 4. And guys, if you'll show up Matthew chapter 4, verse number 18 and 19. This is where Jesus on the Sea of Galilee, and John says the Sea of Tiberias, it's the same exact location. This is where Jesus calls these men into service. And so there's no contradiction. I know there's a lot of people who say Scripture is con uh, contradicting itself. Because I see Andrew and Peter meeting Jesus over here in John chapter 1. And so if you're telling me this is where it all got started, there's a problem. No, there's no problem. They met Jesus over here. Jesus said, Andrew said, hey, where do you live? And Jesus tells Andrew in John chapter 1, he says, you come and see, right? And so Andrew goes and hangs out with Jesus. And the first thing Andrew does is he becomes a soul winner. He goes and he gets his brother and he brings his brother to Jesus. And you know that whole story in the end of John chapter 1. But here in Matthew chapter 4 is where Jesus says, guess what? I'm calling you into service. Notice what the Bible says in Matthew 4, verse 18 and 19. And Jesus, walking by the Sea of Galilee, saw two brethren, Simon called Peter and Andrew his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishers. And he said unto them, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Guess what? You have been fishing for something that was alive to then turn around and kill it, to eat it. But I'm going to teach you to be fishers of men. I'm going to teach you to fish for something that is dead, and I will turn around and make it alive. 
This is what Jesus says. This is, the, this is the total opposite of what our thinking is. When we think about fishing, we think about fishing for something or we think about hunting of something for food, right? Or we're catching fish for food. And Jesus says, here, I'm going to teach you to fish a different way. See, you're fishing for something that's alive that you're then going to cook and eat. I'm going to teach you to fish for something that is spiritually dead. And through me, it's going to be raised to walk in newness of life. This is what Jesus is talking. This is the resurrection story. And see, without Jesus rising from the dead, that statement has no validity whatsoever. And so, I think about Peter's discipleship, the upper room, his denial, all the things that are running through his mind, the cross, the empty tomb, the house with its locked doors. Uh, and this is where Jesus first appears to him. It's all in the past. And so, what does he do? He decides to go fishing. Why? Why does Peter decide to go fishing? Because that is what he knew best. He said, I'm going to go fishing, guys, because fishing is, is familiar to me. Fishing is comfortable to me. I, I'm struggling here, guys. Think about what's going on in his mind. His last interaction with Jesus, Jesus, we have no record of Jesus speaking at all to Peter. In the first instant in John chapter 20 or the second instance in John chapter 20. The only thing that we know is Thomas says, hey, I'm not going to believe. And so guess what? Jesus puts on the display for Thomas so that he uh, addresses Thomas in the room. He says, peace be unto you. And he literally makes a beeline for Thomas. And so we have no recollection of Jesus even speaking with Peter. I'm guessing Peter's got a few things running through his mind. He has just seen the man that he was discipled uh, under die on a cross. And so he says, I'm going to go fishing. But you see what they didn't know, and guys, if we don't pay attention to scripture, we won't know, but discipleship 101 class had not been concluded. Jesus had another lesson or two to teach them. But today we only have time to discuss one lesson, and so here it is. Here's the lesson for today. Self-sufficiency leads to insufficiency. Self-sufficiency leads to insufficiency. We're insufficient. When we rely on me, myself, and I, we're going to come up empty every time. Notice what verse 3 and following says. Travis read it earlier. Simon Peter saith unto them, I go a-fishing. They say unto him, we go also with thee. And so they went forth and they entered into a ship immediately. And that night, the Bible says, they caught nothing. But when the morning was now come, Jesus stood on the shore. Notice this phrase, but the disciples, they did not know that it was Jesus. Then Jesus said unto them, children, have you any meat? And they answered him, nope. Folks, can I tell you the Lord knew exactly where they'd be? And he knew exactly what they would be doing. And what I see here in Scripture is we got four, at least four professional fishermen. Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We got four professional fishermen out on the Sea of Galilee and getting the job done. Catching absolutely nothing. Has anybody ever paid the freight to go deep sea fishing? And then you come back and you ain't caught a thing. Only thing you caught was a little bit of seasickness. Been there, done that. I'm like, they're pulling in the boat. I'm like, I'm feverishly casting. I'm like, please let me catch something before we get back to this silly dock. We got these four fishermen. They knew when, they knew how, they knew where to go about fishing, but they had come up short. They're empty 
nets are proof of this. And here's one commentator. I like what this one commentator said. He said Peter was not necessarily fishing uh, uh, at night for fish as much as he in his heart was fishing for answers in the dark. He wasn't necessarily fishing at night for fish. He was fishing in his heart for answers in the dark. And like Peter and the other disciples, I believe most of us have been there too. You ever had late nights where you laid awake? Don't everybody raise your hand at once. <laughs> I know you've had late nights laying for answers. No, I'm just teasing. We all do that. Where you can't sleep. You're trying to search for answers. Most likely, we all ask the same questions that Peter was asking. You know, we wrestle with the past. Our past hurts. Anybody have past hurts? Anybody have past hang-ups? We all do. We wrestle with our past hurts and hang-ups. We search for understanding and meaning in this thing called life. We pursue pointless paths that only leave us feeling empty time after time after time. And if we're honest, most of us only go fishing for answers in the dark, if you please, when we experience some type of failure, some type of loss, some type of sorrow in our lives, or maybe it's because we're struggling with something we left undone, or maybe it's something we did. Maybe you thought something, maybe you said something, maybe you did something, and you're so ashamed of it. And so you lay, it, lay awake at night trying to figure out how you're going to fix this thing. You said something you shouldn't have said to your husband. You said something you shouldn't have said to your wife. Kids, you said something that you shouldn't have said to mom or dad or grandpa or grandma or your boss or your neighbor. By the way, the Bible says we're to love our neighbors as ourselves. So we've got to be careful how we treat our neighbors. And so we see this this story unfolding. Here's what I notice in the text. Look at verse 6. When Jesus shows up, things begin to change. That's the same thing that happens in our lives. Guys, if we will allow Jesus to show up and be a regular part of our life, things will begin to change. You know why things don't change in your life? You know why things don't change in my life, in our marriage, in our work, in, in, our, in our lives? It's because we've kicked Jesus the heck out of our life. We've trusted him for the salvation that we want in Jesus. We want to go to heaven, but we don't want to live for Jesus today. They're like, hey, I, I, Jesus, can, can you just show up at my hospital bed when I'm taking my last breath? Jesus, can you show up when I keel over with a heart attack? Jesus, can you show up when I'm diagnosed with cancer? Right? We have to live for him today. And so here's what happens. He shows up and things begin to happen. Notice verse number 6. Notice what the Bible says. Verse number uh, 6 and following. Let my eyes get adjusted here. And he said unto them. See, he says, children, you have any meat? In verse 5, and they answer him, no. And this would have been a familiar reminder. This immediately, their minds go back to Luke chapter 5. Jesus says these words. Cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. Now here's what's interesting. The verse before said they don't even know this is Jesus. All they know that is in the morning uh, dew, the morning fog, or whatever it is there by the water, they can see in the dim light that there is a person standing on the shore, and this person says, do you have any meat? And they probably didn't simply say no. They probably said, no, we haven't caught anything. Right? This is probably they're angry, they're cold, they're hungry, they're tired. And that, verse from the, and that voice from the shore then says, cast the net on the right side of the ship and ye shall find. They don't know that it's Jesus. Why would they listen to a voice on the shore? Because notice what the verse says. 
They cast therefore, and now they were not able to draw it for the multitude of fishes. They immediately listen. They don't know that it's Jesus. Verse number 7, therefore that disciple whom Jesus loved. John has a really great opinion of himself. <laughs> I say it all the time. Andrew Murray was the guy who says, when you think, the moment you think you're humble, you're not. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved. He says, notice what he says. He says, the disciple whom Jesus loved um, said unto Peter, it is the Lord. Now, when Simon Peter heard it, that it was the Lord, he girded his fisher's coat unto him, for he was naked. Different discussion for a different time. And did cast himself into the sea. Re the reality, folks, is he probably had on his vest. And he was putting on his outer garment, if you really want to study it. I know there's a lot of guys that try and get oohs and ahs by talking about that uh, Peter's naked with six other guys in a boat. What's that all about? No. Guys, he probably just has his outer coat off, right? And he puts his coat on. What, he find, what we find is that immediately, once he hears that it's Jesus, he gets dressed and he jumps in the water. Now, I'm thinking, why would you put that puppy back on, man? I could probably swim quicker without that coat holding me down. Because you notice what happens. He jumps in the water. He obviously is going to shore. Because notice what happens in verse number 8. And the other disciples came in a little ship, for they were not far from land, but it, as it were 200 cubits, dragging the net with fishes. And as, as soon then as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals there, and fish laid thereon and bread. So Jesus takes this experience that they're having out on the water of the disciples catching nothing to teach them another lesson. The lesson is, I am alive. I have truly risen indeed. And so he basically here, as the risen Lord, he, I believe, he actually wants to remind them just how much they need to depend on him. They could have fished a little bit while longer, and you say, well, maybe they would have caught fish later on. But it was Jesus who says, put that net on the other side, and you shall find. Immediately when the net goes down, the fish are there. And so we'll talk about that here in a second. But part of his lesson I believe, involved proving to them that he was not simply a spirit. He was not a vision. He was not a hallucination, if you please. He was not some form or figment of their imagination. Jesus appears on the shore, and his presence is immediate, it's unexpected, and it's bodily. He is there in body. And so I see a couple of things here that reminds me of this self-sufficiency that we all struggle with sometimes, our self-reliance. You know, we have a great Easter Sunday, and then the next week we go back to the 51 other Sundays of the year, 50 other, 51 other weeks, and we try to live by the arm of the flesh. The Bible says that the arm of the flesh will fail you. Listen, without Christ we can do nothing. And so what we see here is Jesus revealed his supernatural knowledge to the disciples. In verse number 6, he tells them to cast the net, right? And so they come up with the fishes. He knew where the fishes were, or where the fishies were, so to speak. As the sovereign and majestic creator of the universe, he not only knows where the fishes were then, but he knows where the fishes are today in your life and in my life. You say, what are you talking about? Jesus was there and he met those disciples every need. Quit trying to rely on yourself to meet your needs. We are to walk by faith and not by sight. 
Jesus wants to meet your needs. He knows where the fish are. He knows what your needs are. He's able. He, self-sufficiency had failed the disciples. Self-sufficiency had left them cold, weary, and hungry. And Jesus says, listen, I know where the fish are. I know what you need. Cast the net on the right side of the boat. And so they did that. So he not only proves or reveals his supernatural knowledge, but he reveals his supernatural power. Um, I'm just trying to think about this thing. In verse number 9, they come to the shore, right? And they're dragging 153 fish with them, right? And in verse number 9, notice it says, hold on, as soon as they were come to land, they saw a fire of coals. Uh-oh, that would have brought back a bad memory for Peter. You remember? He was warming himself by the fire. One of those times when he was denying Christ. And so he sees the warm fire there and fish laid there on and bread. The fish are there. The bread are there. He not only proves his supernatural knowledge by where the fish are, but he proves his supernatural power. He's already provided the fish and the bread. You say, well, he probably went to the market, Pastor. No, it's the crack of dawn. Market's not open yet. He provides the fish and the bread to meet the needs of the disciples there in verse number 9. Listen, he had prepared a warm fire to comfort them, the fish and bread to feed them. And listen, someone has said this, our need is the evidence of God's supply in waiting. When we lack, he has our supply. If you have a need today, he's the one that meets it. Isn't that what Paul told that church at Philippi? In Philippians 4, 19, he said, but my God shall supply what needs? How many? I did, a, I did a study, I always do it, every time I look at the word all in English, it's a translation of the Greek, textus receptus, I, all actually means all, even in the Greek. It doesn't matter whether it's Greek or English, it means all. He had provided all of their needs, and my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. Listen, our God is truly, go old school on you this morning, he is Jehovah Jireh. Everybody know what Jehovah Jireh means? That means God will provide. He is our God of provision. And he proved his supernatural power. He also reveals his post-resurrection body is real. In verse 4, he's standing on the shore. They don't recognize that it's Jesus, but he's standing there bodily. And then in verse 12 and 13, notice what the scripture says. Jesus saith unto them, come and dine. And none of the disciples durst ask him, who art thou, knowing that it was the Lord? Jesus then cometh and taketh the bread and giveth them and fish likewise. And so he basically invites them to eat and then he physically serves them because you see Jesus is able to see, he's able to speak, he's able to hear, he's able to feel. And a lot of people say, well, hold on a second. I've heard people say he's eaten with them and that scripture doesn't say he ate with them. It says that he served them. Well, it doesn't matter. Because over in Luke chapter 24, verse 42 and 43, the Bible says they gave our Lord broiled fish and honeycomb, and he did eat it. And so he, he is proving that his resurrection is real and that his body is real. Guys, here's wrap it all up into a bow. When we understand and believe that Jesus is Lord, and when we truly take a hold of the fact that he is alive, when we understand and we take a hold of that fact, our response should be exactly like these disciples of old. They obeyed his instructions when he said, cast the net on the right side of the boat. And then, after John says to Peter, it's the Lord. Every one of them. 
Peter jumps out and the rest of them, they make haste. They rush. They rush to be near to the Lord. Listen, they rush to be near Him because they understood that their sufficiency was in Christ alone. I want to encourage you this morning because there's other things in this passage and we were talking uh, yesterday. There's so much more in this passage. I want to encourage you today to go away with one thought. Your sufficiency, if, you're in, if you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, your sufficiency is not in you or yourself or any type of uh, 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 intellect or knowledge or ability that you have. By the way, God gave that to you. Your sufficiency is in Jesus Christ. And every day of our lives, we ought to be responding like the disciples did. In obedience, and we ought to respond by rushing to the Savior. As soon as we wake up in the morning, I know there's some people in here who are not morning people. It's like, like, don't talk to me until I've had 15 cups of coffee after 10 a.m. I see some of you giggling. That tells me that's you. And then there's some people who are terrible at night. It's like after 7.30 at night, don't even, don't even talk to me. Don't, don't, let's not even discuss anything. I'm shutting down for the night, right? I want you to know that your sufficiency is in Christ alone. Someone put it this way. Figuratively speaking, some of us may still be fishing. Stay with me because I'm going to wrap it up and we'll pray. Figuratively speaking, I believe that some of us have spent our life fishing on the Good Friday side of the boat. He's dead. I have to take care of things. I've got a wife. I've got kids. I've got bills. My boss is angry with me. I've got to do a better job at work or I'm going to be laid off. We, we can go in all the problems. My health is terrible. Go ahead down the gamut. And we continually on the Good Friday side of the boat. And you know what happens when you fish on the Good Friday side of the boat? You come up empty every time. You come up empty every time because that's where this idea of self-sufficiency lays. On the God is still in the tomb. He's still dead side. I want to encourage you today to fish on the resurrection side of the boat. Because when you trust Christ, when you believe in Christ, when you obey Christ, when you draw near to Christ, every time you throw that rod and re- that, 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 that lure out, the net is going to come up full. You drop the nets, they're going to come up full. Because guess what? It's not in your ability. It's not in your power. It's not in your strength. It's in the strength of God Almighty. It's in the resurrection power of Jesus Christ our Lord. And so I encourage you today and every day, listen, do it God's way. Stop fishing on this side of the boat and fish on this side of the boat. That doesn't mean everybody here has to get up and go sit over here. You hopefully understand what I'm saying. Put your nets on the side of Jesus. Allow him to fill up those nets. You notice the one other real cool thing. When those disciples brought the 153 fish, they couldn't even draw it out of the water. They had to drag it to the shore. But here was a really cool thing. The Bible says the net did not break. When we walk with Jesus, the net never breaks. And so I want to challenge you this morning. Listen to the voice of truth. 
Stop listening to the lies of the world. Listen to the voice of truth because when you listen to the voice of truth, emptiness gives way to superabundance. When you listen to the voice of truth, the darkness of night dawns in a new day full of glorious light. And when you listen to the voice of truth, our last suppers become early morning first breakfasts. Many times over, breakfast after breakfast after breakfast with the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And so I encourage you, maybe you're struggling here today with self-sufficiency. Maybe you've been, putting the, 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 you've been putting all your chips in your own basket for a while. I want to ask you, I want to plead with you best I can, right where you are. Repent of it. You say, whoa, that's a word I haven't heard in a long time. That means ask God to forgive you of it. Say, God, Take this heart of self-reliance out of me. God, replace, replace that bitterness, replace that anger, replace that confusion, replace that, that feeling of being overwhelmed with a heart that desires to do and live and say and think and do all these things according to your word and according to your will for my life. God, help me to draw in the net and help it to be full according to your plan for my life. I'm asking you, do business with the Lord while he is near. If you're here today and you've never trusted Christ as your Savior, until you trust Christ, until you have a relationship with Christ, you're fishing on the Good Friday side of the boat. You can't, you, you can't put the cart before the horse. It doesn't work. Remember, this is a relationship that is based on the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Him and Him alone is all that you need today. Thank you so much for listening. If you'd like more information about our ministry, check out our website at battlefieldbaptist.org or follow us on Facebook and Instagram. We'll see you next time.